So we'll get through it together. Thank you. 
stops here and meets some people that you don't know, uh, greet the folks that you do, and just hug and love on everybody. <laughs> That was a lot better. Yeah, that was a lot better. What? Did you sing it? Thank you. Thank you. It was good to meet you. Thank you again. Oh, what? Cheese over there. Yes, sir. Thank you. She was just cheesing. Hey, Harley. Harley. Video, right? Yeah. Video? For yeah, what was video? that one? What? The video? video? When they take up the offer? Yeah. So after that before? No, it was before no. that. We do this before that, but after him. No, we didn't. Yeah. We work it out. <laughs> we did the video before we sang up the slip last time. No, we didn't longer slaves. No, I did All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, to say thank you again for allowing us to gather here in your house, Lord. Just a, another beautiful sunny day. It's a little chilly, Lord, but uh, allow us to be able to be the light in the world, Lord, to uh, spread, our, spread your gospel to more people and just uh, bring more people to you, Lord. Uh, as we go out this week, allow us to live the lives that you want us to live. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask Susan Carver if she'll come up. She's got an announcement to make. Most of all of you know Stephanie Gillum, who's one of the young ladies in my church. Uh, she is going to be going on the mission field at the end of May in Guatemala again, this time for five weeks. She'll be working with two missionaries there in an orphanage, and it's through an organization called the Good Shepherd Center. And our children's ministry group would like to do a fundraiser for her. And we're going to do it starting next Sunday. We're going to pass out bottles of water again, drink the water, fill the bottles, and return them. Please be in prayer for her and this ministry that she's doing and be in prayer about um, her ministry. Thank you. Again, this week is revival. Tonight we will have a uh, covered dish supper here at the church at 6 o'clock. Uh, bring whatever you want. Um, just come, you know, we all like to eat. We Baptists. Uh, <laughs> we also have uh, the uh, Wednesday night supper. They wanted me to remind everybody to get signed up today. Um, if you didn't, don't get signed up today, uh, let Miss Jordan know this week that uh, you plan on doing it before Wednesday so she'll know how much food to get. Uh, also, we'll have the observance of the Lord's Supper next Sunday, the 15th, at both 8.30 and 11 o'clock service. Um, rest of the stuff we got in this week, the announcements we've got are basically some of the things that's been in there for a while. We've also got a couple of mission trips that are coming up, uh, conferences and stuff. If you'll just look through those and uh, see the people that they got on there accordingly to get signed up for those. Uh, I think it's pretty much it right now for the major announcements. Okay, let's uh, look at the prayer list for this week. We've got uh, Larry Honeycutt is still at Hillcrest Rehab over in Durham. Uh, Bobby Dickerson is at the VA hospital. Uh, we've got Bobby Jones that is supposed to have uh, surgery Tuesday. He's at Duke. John Russell is still at Duke. We have Liz Cole that is supposed to have a procedure tomorrow at Duke. Uh, Purse Memorial uh, East, at the extended care unit, uh, Charlene Gentry is there. And... Uh, 
Stan told me that Mike Harris had come home this week. He is now home. Uh, is there anybody else that needs to be added? He did? Okay. And that was Bobby Dickerson at the VA hospital that went home yesterday. We also want to remember the families of Herbert Brown, his, his brother passed this week, the family of Elma Clayton, and also the family of Mary Lepton, who all had uh, deaths this week. Just be with those. Keep them in your prayers. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray for the sick. Heavenly Father, we just it looks like our list gets long and longer every week, Lord. And uh, this, this week's been a rough week, Lord, for a lot of people, Lord. We just want to pray that you'll be with each one and touch each person and uh, help their need, Lord, uh, the way that you know how to do, Lord. You've got a plan in this, this, this uh, situation, Lord, for whatever they may be going through, Lord. Just uh, be with each one and just comfort and touch them, Lord, and uh, heal their bodies if that is your will. Lord, again, just uh, be with us. Allow us to be able to share with these people and uh, help them through the week and through the hard times. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We've got the verse of the month on the board, and it's Jeremiah 19.11, and it is, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And now we will go to the Lord and worship in song, and it is reckless love. If y'all would, stand with us.
We have people that have helped build our church from the beginning on the practical and spiritual side of things. They're there week in and week out. Because of the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, there are people who are making an eternal impact. We know that there are people that we've never even met that are doing the building with us. And with the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, we know that that affects us, that we couldn't do what we do if there are people in churches that are building right along with us through their support of this ministry. We're so thankful for your generosity, and because of it, we're able to do what we do. Thank you for all your blessings. I pray, Lord, you continue to bless us and watch over us and keep us safe and us take us um, this offering for furthering your kingdom, the Lord, and uh, just bless these tithes and offerings. Um, and all these things they ask you for in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to have the uh, special music. Uh, and after the special music, we'll have uh, Stan Cruz come up and introduce our speaker, and Mr. Coleman will bring our morning message.
Uh, the kids that are going to kids worship, you're welcome to, be, to go down now. Um, this morning they asked me to introduce uh, my friend Steve. I've known him since uh, our, my first trip to Snowbird, which was the next year was Corey's first trip to Snowbird. And it's kind of ironic to have both of them in the same room because this time Corey has bathed. Because Corey spent <laughs> a week at Snowbird and bathed one time on Saturday morning when we left, thank goodness. That was Corey's only bath at that time. But um, Steve and his family helped find, found Snowbird, and he came and spoke to us several years ago, and he stayed with Kate and I, and we became friends and stayed in touch. And Carol and I had talked about revival coming up this spring, and I had a chance to sit down and talk to Steve last August, and he said he would come and uh, I was here for the morning message, and uh, you will all be just truly touched. And so, my friend Steve. Morning. Good morning. Oh, that was actually pretty good. The first bunch, they didn't say much, okay? But uh, anyway, I am so glad to be here, to be back at Teresa, and I appreciate uh, you guys sending your kids to, to camp, and we'll take real good care of them. Uh, they're the precious gifts that y'all, so we want to take real good care of them. And uh, we're going to be talking about... Uh, Sharing your faith, being a, a witness, and uh, we're going. We're this in these five messages. I, I'll tell you, these five messages I believe is the most serious, the most needed message I've preached in forty years. I believe this is what's ne- desperately needed uh, in our churches today. Uh, and we're to find out what the Bible teaches, witnessing and sharing our faith. We're going to learn uh, to witness. We're going to learn why we witness. We're going to lose what happens when we witness, uh, what witness is, is not, and what witnessing is, how to share your faith, how to overcome fear, and how to empower your walk. Okay? So we're going to, and also, I want you to know that uh, today, uh, I'm going to unload a pretty big wagon, okay? Uh, so I guess we can decide right now that the Methodists are going to beat us to Wendy's, okay? <laughs> That's a joke, but nobody's laughing. Okay, I don't understand that. But uh, Hey, you leave whenever you need to, okay? But I can hit a moving target. Okay. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Every believer witness... We're not talking about you uh, ministering to people in Russia and China and all over the world. Now, we need to do that. We do a good job of that. Foreign Mission Board spends 85% of every dollar you spend on missionaries. They do a very good job, and we're very proud of that. But uh, we're not talking about that. We're talking about as you go through your through God's plan for your life, as He opens the door with teachable moments, now, they're teachable for you and the person you're sharing with, okay? We're all learning all the time, hopefully, okay? And, uh, and, in, and, and not to people way off somewhere, but I'm talking about the people we come in contact with every day, our friends, our relatives, the people we work with, 
the people that, that we make contact with, those are the ones. The Bible says that you start in Jerusalem. That is here, okay? And if you can't, you know, if you can't witness here, why would we send you off to be a witness in China? No point. You've got to be able to do it at home before you can think about doing it anywhere else. Uh, we've given witness, witnessing many names. We call it soul winning, sharing, evangelism, many different ideas for witness, but somehow we've come to fear it and we don't do it. Okay? Now that's just the facts, okay? And I'll give you those facts in just a minute. Uh, I'm going to tell you what we're not going to talk about. We are not going to be talking about knocking on doors. Guess what? There are no doors that need to be knocked on. Visitors, your church, and a whole group of other people. But you know what? Uh, there are people that are gifted to do that, and they'll do that. But, you know, but they're not your witnesses. You need to work, learn to witness personally, okay? But let me tell you something. Uh, when I've, these truths from God's Word, I just realized these, you know, maybe a, a year ago, and it just blew my mind. I've studied every evangelism course known to man, and there's stuff here I didn't see. And stuff I believe, I believe I needed to see, but I didn't see. Because witnessing is the simplest thing you'll ever do. And it's the thing that God has called you to do. And you see, we are, we're so afraid about it. We're so afraid of it. Uh, we're not talking about inviting people to church. You need to invite people to church. Everybody do it. It is the polite thing to do. Okay? And, but guess what? Uh, how many people have ever invited somebody to church where they showed up? Just do this. Let me know. One, two, Two, two going once. I don't got two. I got three. I got three. Three people in this congregation have ever invited. Do you know that ninety-nine percent of the people that you invite to church will never show up? They'll never come because they know you're nice and they know you want to visit. But that is not the gospel, and that is not what will get people to church. We need to realize that that. Uh, we need to learn to share our testimony. And we need to get the gospel out. We need to share the gospel message and not just our message. We're not going to hire more staff to do your witnessing for you. We're not talking about uh, uh, any of that. We're talking about you and your daily walk witnessing as you go. That's what the Bible says. Witness as you go. How can we come to church Sunday after Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night? We have Sunday school. We got, we've got uh, all these different men's meetings and women's meetings. We've got the Wednesday night supper and all this other kind of stuff. And all those things are good. They're good. But you know what? How can we do all that at the church, but we won't go one inch out of our way to share the gospel. I'm talking about an inch. I talk about an inch. Uh,
My brother is the, uh, and, and I don't usually preach from notes, but I believe this, this body of truth needs to be uh, preached topically. So I'm totally out of my element to preach this, okay? I'm also ADD, EFG, HIKJ, okay? I have dyslexia too, okay? But, but let me tell you something, and I'm going to stumble and I'm going to struggle, and that's a, because I'm afraid I'm going to mess up. And so please bear with me. My brother-in-law is with the Southern Baptist Convention, and he keeps me up on all the figures from the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, the last survey says that 90 p- people in the church, Southern Baptist churches, 90% of the people in churches have never shared their faith. 90%. 5% have shared their faith, but have never seen anybody come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's 5% of the church that's doing the evangelism. I don't know if you know it, but the, the baptisms are down in the Southern Baptist Convention. We're below what, what they did in 1987. And we're going down and not going up. And do you think our society needs God more than it used to? No, but they need it. We're headed in the wrong directions. I just wonder, would there be any possibility that this week in these series of meetings, could we come together and agree that we got a problem? There's a problem in the church. We're not not fishers of men. We're keepers of the aquarium. Most of the money we spend, most of the stuff we do is for the people in this congregation. And it don't leave the doors very much. I'm preaching straight from the Word of God and some some people mad. My daddy taught me real early. You throw a rock in a pack of dogs, the only one that hollers is the one that gets hit. All right? Just to admit, we've got a problem. What is wrong in the church? We're not doing but what we're supposed to do. We're just not doing it. Uh, one of my 13 wonderful grandchildren got a pair of those virtual reality glasses for Christmas. And the way that thing works is you put on some goggle kind of things, but you snap your cell phone right in against your eyes, and that's all you can see. And then uh, I suggest that you sit down. But you know what? You sit down and turn that baby on, and all of a sudden you're flying in a plane to the bottom of a volcano. And you come out and look. It's a 360-degree view. You, you can be going in the volcano and look around like that, and you can see behind the plane. You can look below 360 degrees in any, any area. And, man, you can fly through the jungle, and you can fly over sandy beaches, and you can fly over anything you can imagine. They've got a video for it. But you know what? When that video is done, and you take those glasses off, you're sitting in the same chair that you started. That sounds like church as usual. To me. Come in, sit down, stand up, give you money, sing a song, hear a message, don't respond, and go home. 
We need to we need to realize that we need the world needs uh, in uh, Matthew nine thirty six it says but when Jesus saw the multitude he was moved with compassion for them because they were they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Psalms eighty six nine and ten says all nations from whom thou hast shall has made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall give you glory to your name, for thou art great and does great works for us. Okay? Bunch of other verses. Jesus said, Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Ghost. I want to ask you something. Do you only hang out with church people? The good people. The people that look like you, act like you, and think like you do. You're never going to find people to witness. So there's some lot, lot, lot of lost people in the church. But as far as having new converts, you're not going to do it until you go where the lost people are. You've, the Bible says we are compelled to go out and compel them to come in. And we've got to go after these people. But you know what? You don't have to go far to find lost folks. You pass them in every store. And we're going to talk about different ways you can start a conversation and all that kind of thing. And, and we're going to teach you how to witness and what to witness and Everything. But you know what? We have got to be willing to step out of our comfort zone to where the lost are. And so we've got to reach out. Uh, Mark 16, 5 says, And he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel to every creature. That means everybody, right? Who is included in everybody? Everybody. It doesn't matter like what color they are. It doesn't matter to anybody. The fact is, if you're staring in the eyes of another human being, regardless of what color they are, religion they are, you're looking to the, into the eyes of, of a person who needs Christ. It says, Jesus said to them, Please be, uh, peace be with you. My Father has sent you. It talks about, uh, it talks about no, I, I read the wrong verse. But anyway, it says that we need to start in Jerusalem. What is our Jerusalem? Roxboro, North Carolina. This is it. We need to start right here. We need to start right now. Why do you think people go in front of this church and ignore the fact that we're here? Because we're not pursuing them. We're not going after them. And they go by here and they think, oh, that Baptist crowd, I don't know about them. And he gave some prophets and some apostles and some evangelists and pastors and teachers. Yes, there is a such thing as an evangelist, a person with a gift of evangelism, okay? And uh, I've been accused of being an evangelist. And 
Maybe I am. I don't know, but uh, uh, I usually tell the truth about how many people show up at service, so I'm not really evangelist. <laughs> That's a joke. If I tell a joke, it's okay for you to go, ha, 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 okay? But there are evangelists. There are people that are called to go and evangelize larger groups of people, and they are the evangelists in the church, and they are needed. But can I tell you something? Every person in the church is a witness. Every one of us. Now, you're either a good witness or a bad witness, but you are a witness. Okay? Uh, All believers are witness. The world needs a Savior, and God has chosen to use you and I as those witnesses. The importance of why we, why do we witness? Now to them that is of power established according to my gospel and preaching of Jesus and the preaching of Jesus Christ made known to all nations for obedience to the faith to God, the only wise. Glory be to God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. All nations, we're, we're to, again, we say everybody. Because it is our obedience to the faith that we have that Jesus is our Savior. That's that's why we do it. And why does it do it? It says, and it says there, he says, be glory to the Lord. You witness, you breathe, everything you do in your life after you become a Christian should bring honor and glory to God. Um. A few years back, they had this thing, and they called it, I forgot who did it, it was maybe 15 years, they called, called, and they're preaching the same message that I am today, but they were talking about practicing the presence of God. What they were saying is, if God was walking right behind you, you wouldn't ignore the person you passed in the grocery store. It's not witnessing, but it's a lead. Well, inviting somebody to church. That's necessary and polite good, but it's a lead-in to sharing the gospel. When I pass by somebody, if I pass within five or six feet of them, I'm going to say, good morning. Today, like today, you need to stop saying good morning and say, Lord, what a wonderful day God has given us today. Isn't that hard to do? That's almost unbelievable. I mean, and you know what? If and, you know, and I know that ninety percent of those people, they're not, they're not even, they won't even grunt. <laughs> Must say hello. A lot of times when I pass them, they don't say anything. I go, no, but <laughs> I'd never do that. But if I come within about ten or fifteen feet of a person, I'll do that. I acknowledge that they're another human being. He thinks I'm a human. That makes me feel good. And that's not sharing the gospel, but it is a lead-in. God uh, God desires that all people should worship him. Just 22.5 talks about Abraham and Isaac. And it says, and you know what, you know the story. 
Isaac was God's everything. He was his promise. He was his son. He was everything to his dad. Okay? And God tells Abraham to take him up on the mountain. Now, they thought they were, he thought they were going to go up to do a worship service, but Abraham thought that God was going to provide the sacrifice. When Abraham and the boy left to climb the mountain, he walked away from his guys that were helping him go, and he turned around and he says, the boy and I are going to worship. Okay? Now, when he got to the top of the mountain, there was no sacrifice. And Abraham built the altar, and he's put his boy up there on it. And Abraham was willing to take a knife and stick it in the best thing in his life. And God stopped him. You know what worship is? When you've got the, the best thing you know is in your life and you give it to God. You know, people talk about, well, what kind of worship do you have? What kind of songs do you sing? That is worship. But ultimate worship is when you give your very best to God. What about the story of the widow's might? You know, she only had two pennies or whatever. But how much did she give away? All of it. She gave her everything. And that, my friend, is worship. Uh, I don't think I know anything about giving everything to God. Do you? Do we? I'm not sure. Every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're witnessing to bring honor and glory to God. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5.14 it says that abundance grace might uh, be through your thanksgiving of many re Remains to the glory of God. Read that well, but I know what it means. We ought to be thankful for what we got. We ought to be praising God for what we do have, not complaining for what we don't have. You know, we live better than three quarters of the, the poorest people in America live better than the poorest people in three quarters of the world. We honor God with sharing the gospel in many different ways. The salvation of the Lord. If you want to truly honor God, lead somebody to Christ. What that does is that reveals that God's plan for salvation is working. That reveals the fact that Jesus' sacrifice was not in vain. That reveals that you have the faith to believe that there's a heaven and a hell. Praise 
be to God, our creator. And Lord, may we today with our hearts and our minds and our soul, in our hearts and in this church, may we bring honor and glory to you. Amen. We, when we come to the house of God, that's what we need to be doing. So it says most people have uh, misplaced priorities. Now, I want to talk about those priorities a little bit. Uh, the word priority is what the word that I have in the teaching text here. But I think it shouldn't be priorities. It should be lordship. We don't have a trouble with priorities. We have a trouble with lordship. Okay, let's look at it this way. Where do you put God on your list of priorities? God don't go on no list. God is not something you do. He's the one that takes care of you. And he is not a priority. Yes, we do have, we have things to do and we have uh, responsibilities. But let me tell you something. You need to prioritize that, prioritize that thing and not God. You're willing to give him your life. Lordship. You give him your life. Our response to God should be love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love God, love others as God loves you unconditionally. And until you fall in love with Jesus Christ and totally give him life, you will never witness, you'll never grow, and you will miss the true joy of your salvation. That's straight out of God's word. It says here that we've misplaced our priorities. In Mark chapter 4, verse 19, the last part of the parable of the sower, and this is talking about the parable of the sower is about Christians. I've heard it preached about lost people, and yes, there's one uh, translation of Scripture, but there's many applications of that Scripture, okay? So it can be preached as salvation. But I think the real meaning of it is it's the life of believers. See, I, I'm, preaching, I'm preaching to the church today, and I'm, I'm throwing out the Word of God. And, you know, I throw the Word out there, you know, and... Some of that, in the hearts of the believers, it falls on hard ground, and it dries up and never takes root in our hearts today. The word goes out, and some falls on the rocks, and it don't come up. And other seed is thrown out, and it lands in soil, but not good soil, and it comes up, but it withers and dies. But then there's some seed. There's some re receptive hearts. And they throw the seed out there, and it takes root, and it grows. And what does it do? It produces fruit. Are you doing what God wants you to do? That is to produce fruit. We need to be producing other Christians. 
We're out to we're out to share our testimony, see them saved, see them baptized, and then see them assimilated into the church. That's what we should be about. That verse uh, it says after receiving the word that uh, it says that three things come into play. The first thing it talks about, and, and what it does, these these three things say it will cause you to be unfruitful. The first thing it talks about in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, is the fact that it talks about the worries of life. How many warriors do we have in the room? Be honest, hold up your hand there, and then you're the honest, you're, you're the honest warriors, then there's a bunch more. And you know, the Bible says, why... Do you worry about the food you're going to eat? Why do you worry about a roof over your head? And why do you worry about the clothes you wear? Because God, if you'll believe him, he'll bring it and throw it in the door. I'm not talking about making you rich. I'm talking about providing for your needs. And you know what? And we don't do that. Uh, I, I've, I've got a couple of stories. I do, I do realize I got a little more time in this service, so I will maybe make it by one, okay? But anyway, uh, I was remodeling a house for an older couple. They were in the 70s. And uh, I knew I was in trouble when I went to start the job. Uh, Mrs. Johnson and Mr. Johnson. Ms. Johnson, she just, I mean, she, that thing was going to have to be perfect. And, and perfection is the only thing she would have. And she worried that it wouldn't be perfect, okay? The first day when the, my guys got out there and we went to work, we cut a window and made it a door into the house. And then we were building a bathroom, so the block was already laid. So we just put the floor joist in, and it's time to quit. So the next morning, I would go into her and talk to her every morning. And uh, she says, Stevie, that room is going to be great. She says, you know, but I was worried about all those boards you put up. So I got, I got up on it, 70 years old. She said, I got up on those saw things that y'all have, and I washed every one of them boards with a rag. I think, oh, boy. <laughs> and then a, about a week or so, and every day it was the same thing she worried and then one day I walked in and she took my arm and took me over by the kitchen window and looked out in the backyard and her husband was tilling the garden. She says, she called me Stevie. She said, Stevie, you see that man right there? I went, yes, ma'am. She said, he is worried to death over this project. He can't sleep at night. And he just worries all the time. And he's out there going... He's happy as a lark. And so I looked back, we were, and we, I looked over into the den, and her Bible was sitting on the table right by the door. And I reached over, and I picked up that Bible. I said, Miss Johnson, I said, when you find in here that you or he, either one, needs to worry, you let me know, and I'll do something about it. Didn't stop her, but it was a good point. The worries of life. We worry about everything. And see, uh, 
the thing about and, and I the Bible, the, the word know is used 24 times in the New Testament. That word know, K-N-O-W, doesn't mean to know with your head. It means to know from experience. Okay, there's a big difference. Okay? Now I'll tell y'all a story today. And uh my daughter, we have a we've always had a weight room at Snowbird. My daughter was working out weights and she had two dumbbells. And they came together and cut off her finger. I mean, just that quick. Boom, it was gone. It was hanging on by one little piece of skin. Now, at Snowbird, we took a lot of pictures. But we recorded it. She went to the hospital. And, of course, the doctor said, well, the thing we need to do first is try to sew it back on. And we might can put it back on there and you won't lose it. So he sewed it back on. She had to hold it above her heart the whole time. She cried. It hurt so bad. Went back a week later. He unwrapped that thing, and it was black as his coat right there. He said, well, I guess we've got to cut it off. Well, they cut it off, but see, it cut it in two between the first and second joint there. So the doctor was going to, have, going to try to save her a little part of that bone so she'd have a little nub she could grab onto stuff with. But he had to take her skin and pull it up from so far back to cover that nub that it was terribly painful. She suffered, and now she's got one member, finger. Now, has anybody else lost a digit in here? You know, a finger or a toe or a leg or a head? Okay, we're cool, right? So how many people, plus my daughter, have experienced losing a finger? Nobody, except her. She knows that how, what it is to, to lose a finger because she did. I've described it to you the best way I know how, but you don't have a clue what it's like. And let me tell you something. Do you know God that way? Does he show up and do things in your life that you can't understand and nobody else can understand, but he did it for you? You know what? Um, somebody young, girl, uh, that has a close relationship with your mother, stand up. Anybody? If you have a close relationship with your mom, oh, okay, good. What's your name? Mickey. Mickey, okay. Now, uh, you love your mama, right? right? And she loves you, right? So I want you to prove to me that your mother loves you. Go ahead, prove it. <laughs> Do you really love her? I mean, uh, <laughs> oh no, no, I said, wait a minute, I said, prove to me that she loves you. She She's got what? She helped me fight my battle with cancer. She helped you fight. Uh, you know, the nurses and the doctors at the hospital do the same thing. I bet she has a birth certificate, too. What do you think? You ever heard of forgery? No. <laughs> well, then you're kind of stuck for explaining to me how you know your mother loves you. She was with me the whole entire time. In other words, you have experienced 
your mother. Right? Do you think there's any way that I could convince her that her mama don't love her? Sit down. Thank you. Experience in God. Now, I've had, with building the camp and being in full-time ministry and and, uh, everything, I've had God show up and do things that nobody in the world could understand except say, it was God. And you know what? He's no respecter of persons, and he don't want to do that in my life and not do it in your life. But you know what? We've got to surrender to him before we can do that. We've got to surrender to him. And let me tell you something. Until you surrender to him, you will know absolutely nothing about the joy of serving Jesus. Talks about the uh, deceitfulness of riches. I had a friend that worked for Enron in the late 80s. And uh, he had a $100,000 a year job, cushy job, and he had a million dollars worth of Enron stock. He went to uh, work one day, and they fired him like they did all their other employees. And his stock was not worth that paper that my notes are written on. A million dollars, 100,000 a year and a million stock. Boom. Gone. If you knew, if you had any idea of the teeny tiny little bitty thread that our economy hangs on in America, you would never trust on on your riches ever again. So when this, this thing falls apart, which I believe it's going to, you know, it's, it's going to be something, and riches are not going to help you. And then it says, the lust of other things. When you say lust, automatically you think about sin, but you know, there's lust, I mean, about sex, but there's a whole lot of things we lust after. But you know, I read that, uh, I read that list of priorities about your family and, te- and all that kind of stuff, priorities and all those kind of things. But if you're going to make a list of lustful things, we would have to talk about, we would talk, if we were going to make a list of sins, we would say, okay, don't drink, don't smoke, don't, uh, don't hang around with uh, women who dress a little on the trashy side. Uh, that was a joke too, but... Uh, uh, murder... Robbery. Just go down the list. That list I just mentioned that you and I have always called sin, there's not one of those that's a sin. Not one. Every one of those is a manifestation of the sin that has already taken place. My Bible tells me that sin is a matter of your heart. And see, when you decide to do anything that God don't want you to do, it is sin. Jesus was selfless. He gave himself for us in life and in death. And being selfish, every commentator I've ever read says the root of all sin is, the root of all sin is selfishness. Well, 
I've dug up enough pine trees that I know when you cut a pine root open, it is pine. Amen? And you know what? Selfishness is sin. And you know, we're, we, we think in a relative term. And you know what? We, we've never robbed nobody and we never beat nobody. And you know, well... I didn't, I didn't smack my wife but twice last week. She really deserved it, but I, you know. And see, we think if we're not doing what the bad people do, we haven't sinned. But let me tell you something. And if I ask you, have you done any sin today? You'll say, no. What about if I ask you if you've been selfish today? What would you have to answer if you were being yes? Yes. And then when God convicts you of that sin, and you can, when you commit that sin, and he convicts you of that sin, you need to confess that sin. God, sin separates. Sin separates you from God before you were saved, but sin separates you from God after you're saved. Not in relationship, but in fellowship. I truly believe that unconfessed sin in the life of a believer is the cancer that's keeping the church in America from doing anything. We're going to talk more about this on Wednesday night, but you know what? You need to realize you're a sinner every day. You have the ability not to, but you do. That's because of the flesh. And we need to confess those sins. We need to confess our sins. Most Christians, we don't witness because we don't real, we don't we forget about the fate of lost people. In Luke 16, it's the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he was doing okay. And there was a certain beggar that sat at the uh, gate. He was full of sores. He desired to feed of the crumbs that fell from that rich man's table. And, uh, and it came to pass that the beggar died, and he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died. He went straight to hell. Oh, everybody is going to die. Unless the rapture comes and he takes the believers home and you're one of them, if that doesn't happen to you, you and everybody you know and everybody you look at is going to die. And they're going to either go to heaven or hell. You know, you've got relatives. You know, man, we got, like I said, the sick list just gets longer and longer instead of shorter. But you know, if one of your relatives, your, your lost relatives, was in the hospital and they say he's dying or she's dying. You know because you're good people and you love them. If they were dying and could have nothing to eat, you'd go there and you'd break up cubes of ice into little bitty slivers and you'd place it on their tongue to give them just a little bit of rest, a little bit of normalness before they die. And you would stay for there for 24 hours or 24 days. It didn't matter. 
You'd be right there. But you've never told him about Jesus. Which is more important? We have got to realize that we, and let me, and you, well, you're talking about works. Let me tell you something. You, there, what would you have to do to get out of hell and into heaven? What good work would you have? To, there is nothing you could ever do. But we're so, and you know, and we're so afraid somebody's going to accuse us as, for, as, because we, well, you're just working for your salvation. And we're so scared of that, we've, we've gotten to the place we don't do a thing. We're just logging time till Jesus comes. We need to go out and do works that are evident of our salvation. We're not saving, we're not working to get saved, we're working because we're saved. It's time we went to work. And uh, the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and let Lazarus come. Then may he dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue and cool my lips. For I am in torment, torment and flame. We don't hear a lot of preaching about hell anymore. But can I tell you something? Hell is real. If heaven is real, if there are rewards, there's got to be a punishment. And hell is a real place. It's where the souls of the lost go to live for eternity in torment and agony in flame and alone. To be totally separated from everything they've ever known and separated from God. That's hell. And hell is real. And if we don't tell the lost world about Jesus, they're going to hell. Do you, do you ever think about that? I don't know. God has done his part. It's about time we started doing ours. He talks about, he says, and Abraham said, Son, remember that thou had a lifetime and receiveth good things, and likewise Lazarus uh, evil, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. He said, between hell and heaven, there's a great gulf. Also, the word chasm is used. A great gulf is like the Gulf of Mexico times 10. There's no way that Lazarus, I mean, you know, Lazarus could go from heaven to hell. Can't do it. He couldn't do it. You can't do it. The rich man couldn't do it. It's a great, so others, others say it's a chasm. That's like the, the uh, Grand Canyon times a thousand. Can't be going from one side to the other. Can't do it. Uh, 
There's no chance that if you don't surrender your life to Jesus that you will ever get to heaven. Now, there are lots of people that say you do have chances. Uh, what's her name? Sh uh, Shirley McLean. She's one of those uh, people. <laughs> but anyway, she's one of those. And she believes that, that every time you die, you get another chance. And, and, and basically, if, you, if you're good and do the right things, you go up. And if you're bad, you go down. Well, that's true. Up and down, heaven, hell. Yeah, that, well, that part's true. But you don't get another chance to do your life over. When you die, it's done. And uh, my wife and I have a friend in North Carolina, lives in the mountains. She's not a mountain girl, I promise you that. She's from one of them foreign countries like Michigan or Ohio or something. But anyway, <laughs> once a year, well, I think she's from California. Because once a year, she flies back to, Cal to California and pays her spiritual guide or guidance person $5,000 for one appointment. And he directs her life. And she, she will tell you in a heartbeat that she was Sachagawea in a former life. The Indian girl that led, led Lewis and Clark through the Rocky Mountains. That's her. you don't get a second chance. You don't get a second chance. And then and here's one of the most convicting verses I've had show up in my life in the last, last years. And he said, and then, and then rich man said, pray you therefore, Father, that thou would send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brethren that, they, that he might testify unto them, lest they come into this place of torment. You know what I realized? That the people in hell are more concerned for the lost than we are. That blew my mind. But it's true. They're saying, oh, please don't come to where I am. He says, man said, Father, but if one went to them from, the, oh, no, he says, I'm saying to him, they have Moses and the prophets to tell them. He said, no, but if somebody comes from the dead to tell them, they would repent. And he says, if they won't listen to the prophets, they won't be moved by a dead man either. Who was he talking about? Who died for your sins? Jesus. God uses the gospel of Jesus Christ to save people. We are commanded and commissioned to be his witnesses. You know what? Before I, before I did this study, I, there's a lot of things I didn't know about it witness. But you know what? I, I truly believe in these studies we're going to do is not because of anything I've done, but because God's word is truth. We can learn the truth of witnessing. And, and you don't need to do that. You, you don't need to do that. 
You need to hear what God says about witnessing. And you need. So what we've studied is God's word. So you need to decide to obey God. The first thing you need to obey God in is confessing your sin. The second thing you need to do is to obey God in being his witness. You need to love him and honor him and glorify him and, and obey him because you want to, not because you have to. And you need to ask God to give you a burden for the lost. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I know, God, that you've spoken to my heart. Even in this, the preparation of these messages, you've shown me truth that I've never seen. And I thank you, that's the truth. The reality of your word, it never stops helping us. Would you obey the law and confess the Lord and confess your sins and determine that you want to be a witness? Will you ask God to open doors and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to witness? With nobody looking around, if you want to do that, just slip up your hand. I would like to be witness, a witness for God. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Amen. God bless you. Can I tell you something? That's all I want from you this morning. The ones that want to be witnesses. You've responded properly. But you know, there's other people that have not confessed their sins and salvation. They're not confessed their sins of selfishness after their salvation. And there's just a lot of things that we need to pray about, talk about, and ask God to move. So I'm going to ask the musicians to play. And if God has spoken to you today, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I want you to do what God is asking you to do. And this altar is open. And, I, you know, for a long time I, I struggled with the fact that, yes, I know for a fact that you can pray any prayer you need to pray in your seat, in your car, when you get home, when you go to work. You can confess your prayer anytime. Confess your sins anytime. You can pray to God anytime. But you know what you can't do, do in your seat? You can't humble yourself before God. Is he worth it? As they play, you choose.